before we turn uh, back to that portion of Scripture that we read, uh, let us uh, seek God's face once again in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we do come to you uh, on on our knees. Uh, we do come to you and bow, and we acknowledge that you are sovereign, that you're also all-powerful, and we acknowledge that you have decreed that you will uh, speak to your people and nourish us by the preaching of your word. And so we ask, Lord God, that that might happen, that you might feed us uh, this morning. Turn us, indeed, to face Jesus Christ as we look at uh, your word uh, in these moments just now. We know that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but your word stands forever, and it is true. There is truth. This is truth in your word. So we pray that you would shine your light on it, and that you would uh, show us uh, yourself. Lord, let us hear your voice, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So we are, uh, I think, really quite forgetful. (laughs) Uh, I don't think it's me. I think we are forgetful as Christians. Uh, We get so easily sucked into the priorities of the world around us, don't we? And we get uh, sucked into the pressures of daily living. That what can happen is that very quickly you and I can lose sight of, first of all, what God is like. We can forget what God is like. But the other thing that can really happen very quickly because of the dangers of the world, pressures of the world, is that we can also forget and lose sight of what God has done for us, his people, and for his church. We are forgetful, even of the basic things in the Christian experience. So this is what I want us to do just now for a few moments together. What I want us to do is to think about one of the more critical elements of the Christian faith, one of the most critical and essential elements of biblical Christianity. Indeed, what I want us to try and do is answer the most simple of questions— And it's this, why is the cross of Christ, why is it so special? (laughs) Like if you're visiting uh, St. Peter's this morning, you will see that we talk a lot about the cross and we speak about the cross a lot and we pray about this cross and we preach about the cross. Why do we do that? Like what is so special about the cross of Christ? Like from from a spiritual perspective, what? What was going on there? Why are we going to, in a moment or two, going to pause to remember a form of execution? Did you see how bizarre it seems in the sight of the world? Why would we rejoice in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's, that's the simple question. Well, to try and, <coughs> excuse me, to try and answer that, what we're going to do is we're going to turn back Uh, to Leviticus 16, to this uh, annual day of cleansing for the ancient people of Israel. I'm going to see what we can learn from this here about the cross of Jesus Christ. So uh, this is the favor that I would ask you. And it would be to have actually, you know, have the text in front of you if you can. If you've got a copy of the Bible, brilliant. If you've got your phone, even search online, you know, Leviticus 16. NIV, if you want, just to have it in front of you. Have the text there, and the first thing that we're going to think about 
as the preparation for the high priest, or the preparation of the high priest. Everyone got it? So Leviticus 16. We're going to think together about the preparation of the high priest. That's the first thing. <coughs> You're going to have to bear with a coffin, okay? you have to bear with it. Were you, not trying to patronize you, were you confused in the reading? I wonder if that's the case. What about the younger people? Are you confused by the, the reading of Leviticus 16? I, I wouldn't blame you if you were. Lots of repetition. Do you notice? Lots and lots of detail in this portion of Scripture. So much stuff going on. As I think, what we ought to do to start is just unpack just one or two elements here, okay? So that we can get our heads around this. First thing, I think you and I have to have the setting right in our minds, the setting here. So can I ask you just to look at verse one? <coughs> verse one, do you see? So the day, this big day, this annual day of cleansing, now what was it? It's instigated, and what's this it says here? After what? After the death of the two sons of Aaron. Now, I don't think I have to spend all that much time going into that, you and I just now, but I do think we need to at least know what happened. So if you were to go back to Leviticus 10, you don't need to just now, but in Leviticus 10, what you would find is that Aaron, the high priest, his two sons, the beautifully named Nadab and Abihu. Okay, what these two men had done as approach God with the view of making an offering to God, but they had approached God without due reverence and awe. What happened? Do you know what happened? They got burnt. Boy, did they get burnt. You think about it for a moment. Fire raged out of the tabernacle and it consumed those two men. Just pause there. Isn't that a little bit scary? Isn't it? But we've got to get the setting correct. So this day of atonement is instigated after that has happened. It's the first thing. Second thing we've got to get right in our head is actually the layout of the tabernacle. I think if we got that right, it'll help us. So maybe you know what I'm talking about when I talk about Matryoshka dolls. Do we know what Matryoshka dolls are? We do, don't we? The, those Russian dolls that fit one inside the other. Freaky little things, aren't they? These Russian dolls that fit one inside the other. Actually, that helps us a little bit here. Because can you picture the tabernacle for a moment? Can you think about this? So what have you got in the tabernacle? So you've got inside the outer walls, you've got this big courtyard in front of a tent of meeting. Then think about the Russian dolls. Okay, the tent of meeting. Inside that, what have you got? You've got a holy place. Think about the Russian dolls, though. Inside that, what have you got? You've got the most holy place. We are. Get this. Only the high priest was allowed to enter, and only that once a year. Now, I'm going to ask you, what's your impression so far? Like, think about it. The dangers of approaching God, all of these obstacles to approaching God, what's the impression? Surely this God, Leviticus 60, this God's a holy God. So we've got the setting, we've got the layout of the tabernacle. Now, 
This is the most important thing that we've got to get, we've got to unpack here. Most important thing is the preparations for the high priest. Okay, my question for you is this. Now, you've read Leviticus 16. We've gone through it. We've set it out. My question for you is, why did the Day of Atonement exist? Kind of rhetorical, of course, but think about the answer. Why did it exist? Now, what would you say to me? Would you say, well, this day existed, Andy, to cleanse away sin, right? This day existed to make atonement for the transgressions of the people of Israel. Is that what you would say to me? No. I mean, what you must remember and keep squarely in view this morning, see all of this you've got here, we've read, all of it in Leviticus 16 was symbolic. All of this is is figurative. Their sins weren't actually being dealt with in Leviticus 16. Indeed, what you must keep in view, what you must keep in view, is that the primary purpose of all of this was to teach the people of Israel and to teach them about atonement. Do you follow? All of this here was to point forward to a time and to instruct the people about a time when real atonement would be made. So do you see what we have to wrestle with here? What were the people being taught about with these preparations for the high priest? Well, look at verse 6 with me. Let's all do this together, young and old. Let's look at verse 6. What about the high priest preparations? There's a couple of things. What did Aaron have to do? Do you see it? Verse 6, Aaron had to, he shall offer the bull as a sin offering for whom? Has everybody got it there? For first household, yes, but for whom? For himself. Now, you, you can see what's going on there. Like if Aaron is going to stand as a representative for all of his people, first thing that has to happen is what? Aaron himself has to be clean. So do you see what the people of Israel are being taught? Do you see the lesson? They're being shown here that one day for real atonement to be made, a truly sinless representative is going to work before God. That's the lesson, isn't it? Isn't it? With this bull for Aaron's sin. One day a pure priest, one day a perfect priest is going to act and act before God. That's, that's the lesson. But then there's something else here. See, I wonder, uh, are we familiar uh, with the, the garments that the high priest at the time would have worn. Like, I, I'll bring it to the younger people again. There's quite a few. I know some have gone out to Sunday school. There's still some younger people. We're all young at heart. I get it. But some younger people in here. Um, are you familiar with the garments that the high priest would have worn? I want the younger people to try and picture it. So the, the, the garments were incredibly ornate. Incre- weren't they? Incredibly ornate. So you've got to picture a very fancy robe. <laughs> fancy is the robe. And then you get to a headpiece. It was a turban type affair, but very intricate and uh, ornate. It's beautiful turban and a, a breastplate. And I think what I want the young people especially to appreciate is that these high priests, as you picture them, they were dressed like a king, very deliberately. So you, you picture a high priest you got to imagine they look like an ancient king. You got it? Well, isn't it interesting to see what we, what we learn in verse 4? If you look at verse 4, incredibly important detail here. 
So we are told that in order to make atonement, what did the high priest have to do? But he had to get changed. Do you notice that? So think about that. Before you make atonement, this high priest, he's got to take off all of these garments and the robe and the breastplate. He's got to take all of this stuff off. What does he put on? Do you notice how remarkably boring it is? Do you notice how plain the garments are? It's linen. Everything's linen. Do you see it? Look, it's linen garment, linen sash, linen... So it's the clothes now, not of a king, but it's the clothes of of a slave. Do you see the lesson for the people of Israel in the Day of Atonement? What is the lesson here? When the true Day of Atonement came, it would involve a lowering of the representative of the people before God. Do you see the lesson? The lesson in the clothes. One day it's going to involve a humiliation, a condescension of the representative of the people before God. Now, what was, can you think back to the beginning of the sermon? What was our question? Do you remember? Why is the cross so special. What's so special about the cross? Well, surely even in these preparations of the high priest, surely now we have an answer. I, I don't know some of you this morning. You know, there's some who are visiting the church. But I genuinely hope and understand that everyone who's listening online and all the people in the room right now, that we all understand that this day that all of these people were being instructed about and looking forward to, that day has already happened. This day has occurred. I hope we all understand that the central atoning event in all of human history occurred on that moment that Jesus Christ died on that cross at Calvary. I hope and pray that you understand that. But but wait a minute. As this morning, you and I, as we peer through the gloom and the darkness at Golgotha and we look at the cross, who is it that hung there? And do you see how it all fits together? Who hung there? Yes. Their dying on the cross was one who truly was free from all sin. One who was that perfect priest. One who was absolutely pure. But it's more than that. Who hung there on the cross? Their dying on the cross was one who who lowered himself. Isn't that right? One who was formerly adorned in the robes of heavenly majesty, heavenly splendor, who divested this robe. And then as we look at the cross, this is one who is dressed as a slave. What are those verses, those words that we know so well, especially those who come to the evening service? What did Christ do but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave? And that is staggering. I mean, isn't it? This is God voluntarily entering into humiliation. It's staggering, but it isn't all the more amazing when you remember why. Why Christ did it. Think about it. He was there fulfilling the role of a priest. Now, do you appreciate the significance of that? He was not just dying but he was representing you, Christian friend. Now think of it. 
in those moments of mortal wounding on the cross, what was happening in a spiritual sense in the heavenly places is that Jesus Christ was making an offering to his Father. And yes, you would say to me, it's an offering for sin, but it's better than that and it's more than that. In those moments of mortal wounding, as the, as the, as the nails go in his hands and feet, he, in the spiritual places, heavenly places, Christ is priest making an offering for your sin, for my sin. Isn't it something? And isn't it at least part of the reason why the cross of Christ is so special and special to the people of God? So we see the preparations of the high priest. A second thing that we have to notice here is the effectiveness of the blood. (coughs) Excuse me, folks. The effectiveness of the blood the effectiveness of the blood. So what have we done? We've looked at the, the high priest and we've thought about his preparations and the sacrifice he's had to make for himself the, and then the, the, the changing of his clothes. But now what can happen? What can happen now? The high priest can actually get to work. Can't he? The preparations have been made. And I'm sure that you all picked up in the reading that actually the Aaron the high priest uses to what? Goats, doesn't he? So he uses two goats. So under this heading, I want you to think about the first goat. I, 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 I bet my life in it that you did not get up this morning and expect to come to church and for somebody to say to you, I really want you to pay all your attention to a goat. Um, but that's what I want us to do. There's two goats here. I want you really to think about this first goat and its significance here, okay? Now, Catherine, my wife here, and I are, uh, we're, we're moving house very soon, in the next couple of weeks. So you can imagine what it's like down the road at our current house, and you can, yeah, you can imagine the chaos of that, right? Uh, so I'm just faking the cold to get out of packing boxes. No, I'm not. Uh, but yeah, what do, you, what do you do, right? You're packing up to move. So there's boxes everywhere. What else do you do when you're moving house? You clean, right? You don't want the next tenant to move in into a disgusting, not that it was ever disgusting, but not, you don't want them to move into a, a dirty house, do you? So even if there's a cleaner coming out, it doesn't matter. Do you? It's just, what do you do? You clean. Every nook and cranny gets brushed and gets washed and gets cleaned, right? It does. Now, in a strange way, isn't that actually what's happening here in Leviticus 16? So you think about the tabernacle for a moment. What's the tabernacle? The tabernacle is the place that the almighty, holy God is going to move into. You see? He's going to abide in this tabernacle with his people. So why is it that this first goat has to be killed. Now, look with me. Look at verse 16. (coughs) Why is it killed? It's killed to make atonement for what? For the holy place. Do you see it? So this blood of the goat is spilt. Why? To cleanse the tabernacle for the presence of Almighty God. Now, that's got me scratching my head, and surely it's the same for you. Doesn't it raise a question for us? Why on earth would you use blood to clean anything? Like if I come home 
this week from the office. And, you know, Catherine's cleaning the work surfaces and she's using blood to do it. As much as I love my wife, I'm going to have a word. But why? Why? Why use blood here to clean? And I think, Christian friend, you know the answer to that. You know that throughout the Old Testament, blood is God's chosen means of cleansing away what? Sin. Isn't it? Like blood, in a sense, is everything to God. Do you see that? It's precious to God. Blood is the key component to his creatures. And so do you see it? The only way of having God's wrath and anger at sin turned away is if blood is actually poured out. That's why we can look at the tabernacle in Leviticus 16 and see, yes, it is being cleansed. Because from what is it being cleansed? From the defilement, from the dirt of his people's sin and transgressions. Now, hang on a second. Remember what I've just said. All of this, 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 first goat and its blood cleansing sin. All of this is symbolic. So you see what we push back with to the text. Say, what was the lesson for the people of God? Or more pertinently, what is it you, what is it that I am being taught here about the cross? Well, I do wonder who I'm talking to this morning at St. Peter's. And I do wonder if there are people in the room who are Christians but who are doubting their salvation. And I wonder if I'm speaking to Christians this morning that are, for whatever reason and for whatever they have gone through, who are doubting the sufficiency of Christ's work for them. If so, I would urge them to consider what it is that has been done for them. Because you understand, do you, that they are at the cross true atoning blood. True atoning blood has been spilled. Do you understand the, the glory of it? That Jesus Christ at Calvary was not just fulfilling the role of a priest. That there at the cross, why is it so marvelous? He was actually fulfilling the role of the goat. He's fulfilling the role of the sacrifice as well. That at long, long last that God's anger at all of his people's trespass and all of their sin was being forever turned away. Why? How? Because when those nails went into his hands and feet, it wasn't symbolic blood. And it wasn't the blood of a, of a goat or a bull. It was the blood of God. It was the blood of the God-man, the blood of the Christ that was being poured out. And that's why if you're a Christian and you have faith in Jesus Christ, that's why right now you can have full assurance of your salvation. Really. That's why this morning you can jump for joy in your salvation. Why? Because an eternally efficacious sacrifice for your sin, listen, it's already been made. An eternally efficacious sacrifice and offering has already been made for your sin. Now it's clean. We are clean. Now God can dwell with us in perfect harmony, in perfect intimacy. Now you will never, ever have to answer for your sin. Why? 
Because he died. Because Christ Jesus died. The God-man has died. Listen to the words. A sufficient sacrifice for your sin has already been made. That's why we can rejoice. And then the third and the last thing. So we've seen the, the preparation for the high, of the high priest. We've seen the, the effectiveness of the blood. The last thing is the removal of the transgression, the removal of the transgression. There's something obvious that remains, isn't there? Something obvious. So we've dealt with the high priest and his preparation, haven't we? And then we've dealt with this first goat. What's the obvious thing to say? We sh- there's still... There's still the second. There's still the second goat to consider. So what happens? The second goat, what happens with it? Well, from verse 20, so you can see that we're nearly at the end of this chapter, but from verse 20, I think we're told of what is something like a visual aid. You know what I mean by visual aid? An, an object lesson for the people of God. And in fact, I reckon you can probably picture it with me, can you? Like, the first goat was all done in private. I think that's really important for us to get our heads around. So the blood was sprinkled in public. Do you, do you notice that? The, 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 the high priest goes into the most holy place and it's done in private. See the second goat? Not like that at all. So the second goat is a very public display. Now, can you think about it? Can you picture what happens? I think we can. Like, what happens? The high priest... So he stands, the entranceway, and he stands with all of the people of Israel are gathered in the courtyard, doesn't he? What does high priest do? Now he brings a goat. He takes a goat beside him. What's the next stage? Takes his hands. And the high priest puts his hands on the head of this goat, doesn't he? And then what does he do? He confesses all of the sins of the people of Israel all of the sins of the camp over the top of this live goat. Everybody got it? Do you have it? Oh, wait a minute. Isn't it interesting to see what happens next? Like, I'm, I'm expecting the goat to get killed, aren't you? And that's not what happens at all. Do you know, at this point, this goat is led away, isn't he? It's led away out of the camp. So it's led away from the community... And it's led out into where? Into, listen, into the desert or the Azazel. So the goat is now led away into the wilderness. Now, what is going on there? Like, why is this goat led away? Well, I think and I hope that you can see an answer. Like, dare I suggest this to you, that what we've got in the second goat is a sign? Isn't it a symbol Like, do you see what's happening here? That we are seeing in the second goat the effects and the results of the first goat sacrifice. Isn't that what's happening here? Like, this second goat is interpreting for the people of Israel what's happened by the spilt blood of the first goat. Do you see it? Like, by that earlier blood being spilt, what's happened to the defilement and the sins of the people? You can see the answer. Look at the second goat. What's happened to the sins of the people? It's been led away. The sin has been born away. Do you see, by the spilling of the earlier blood, all of the sins of the people have been taken away out of the camp, crucially, never, ever, 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 ever to return. 
Now, you will not be surprised that we have to relate this to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we do that, do you know, I think you're going to all disagree with what a whole number of scholars say about the second goat. So I've read this so many times. So many scholars say this, that none of the biblical authors draw any parallels between that second goat and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. There it is. Do you agree with this or not? None of the biblical authors draw any parallels between the second goat and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think if you're a Christian here, I think you can see that that is utterly incorrect. Because I would ask you, what happened in Jerusalem on the day of Christ's death? What happened? Now listen. On that day that our Savior died, like this goat, Isaiah 53. The Lord lays on him the iniquity of us all. What happened on the day that our Savior died? 1 Corinthians 5. Christ was made sin for us. What happened? But that the Lord Jesus Christ was led out of the camp, out of Jerusalem. What happened on the day that Christ died? First Peter chapter 2, he carried our sin. Everything. Everything about this second substitutionary goat, it screams. It screams of the later work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in light of that, surely as all of us, surely we, we see the big overarching theme Surely we see what God is doing, not just in Leviticus 16, but surely we see the big picture of what God is doing in St. Peter's right now. He is reminding you, Christian friend, lest we forget it, reminding you that in Christ, your sin is gone. (laughs) It is gone. Isn't that it? Like all of this iniquity and these besetting sins and the habitual sin that plagues your mind and haunts your life, all of it by your divine scapegoat. It has been taken and it has been removed. All of that wickedness. Where is it? What do we sing so often? Where is our sin? It is as far as the east is from the west. Or Micah 7, where is your sin? Today, because of Christ, it has been thrown to the depths of the sea. Where is our sin? By Christ Jesus, our divine scapegoat, has been taken out of the sight and out of the mind of God forevermore. That's it, isn't it? That's why the cross of Jesus Christ is special to you, Christian friend, and to me. Our sin is gone. It's been taken. It has been removed. And I end with what is genuinely one of my favorite details in all of the Bible. (laughs) I love it. What happens at the end of the Day of Atonement? What happens? They fast, right? Don't they? 
And they set this up as an annual remembrance, an annual remembrance. And then there's a last detail in verse 23. There is a redressing of the high priest. Now, I'm going to read it to you. You do the work <laughs> prayerfully. Think about why it's beautiful. Try and make the link. It says this, of the high priest, having made atonement, having made atonement, you do the work, the high priest shall take off the linen garments and he'll leave them there. Having made atonement, the high priest shall take off the linen garments and he'll leave them there. You do the work. Do you see why it's beautiful? Come on, think New Testament, think John's gospel. John chapter 20 and verse 4. The resurrection of our Lord. Both Peter and the other disciple were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped to look in. What did he see? He saw the strips of linen lying there. Isn't that beautiful? Our great high priest, our great high priest, having done his sacrificial work, our great high priest, he took off his linen garments and left them there. That he, like this high priest of Leviticus 16, our Lord Jesus, having atoned truly and really for our sin, like this high priest, he steps back out into the light. And he is now dressed in the glorious garments of eternal life, dressed in the garments, the garments of royalty. Friends, may we never, ever forget the wonder of the cross and what has been done for the church at Golgotha. It should mean everything to us. Why? By that spilt blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, our sin is gone. Our sin is gone. Our sin is gone. Friends, let's pray. These things in Jesus' name. Amen.